We're an anxious people at times, aren't we? Um, perhaps you remember tumultuous times in this country's history, and you can still remember the concerns written on your parents' faces as they perhaps watched the evening news or read the headlines. Now, that news is um, it's immediately available to us now. We don't have to wait for the evening news to come on or for tomorrow's paper. How do you handle the, the bad news and, and the anxiety that often comes with it? How can we pray for, for our leaders to be good leaders to the people they serve? We have a, a glimpse of how we might approach our anxiety and approach God in prayer in the psalm that we're studying together this morning. Through this psalm, we learn to pray for our leaders, for our rulers. But we learn more than that. We learn to pray for the coming of the leader and ruler who will righteously right all wrongs once and for all. Do you want that? Do you you want all wrongs put right? Then you must learn to pray Psalm 72. If you haven't done so already, let me encourage you to open your Bibles uh, to Psalm 72. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you should be able to find the passage on page 485. Number 485, page 45. When you arrive at Psalm 72, you'll, you'll see that it shares something in common with another psalm that we've studied in this series. Like Psalm 41, Psalm 72 is the last psalm in a book of the psalms. It's the last psalm of book 2 of the psalms, to be precise. The psalms, as you may recall, they are poems and songs and prayers of the ancient people of God. They were composed, collected, and arranged into five books. Many scholars understand the psalms that we find in these five books were, were carefully compiled to craft a single message about God and His work in the world. And they weren't just composed and compiled to create a message, but they were also composed and compiled to call God's people to pray about and praise God for His work in the world. In Psalm 72, we're considering a prayer for God's rule and reign to come through His royal and righteous Son. This psalm is a prayer that we may pray. We may pray it like this. Heavenly Father, finalize your righteous rule through your righteous Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the essential message of Psalm 72. And I trust that through our study, we'll come to see that this prayer looks beyond David and Solomon to Jesus. It must. For in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus said this to his disciples. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus fulfills Psalm 72 in that he is the king of endless righteousness, endless rule, and worthy of endless praise. Though this psalm looks to endless eternity, it was written and situated in history. We know that from the top and the tail of this psalm. Uh, at the top of the psalm, we have an description. You see it there, it says, of Solomon. Now, typically in the psalms, uh, this indicates the psalm's author, like when we read other psalms, which say a psalm of David. But then, there is a curious little phrase or last verse of this psalm. Skip down to verse 20. Take a look at verse 20 of Psalm 72. What do we find there? We find this. 
the prayers of David, son of Jesse, are ended. So, so what are we to make of this? Is this a psalm of Solomon or a prayer of David? Well, the answer is yes, of course. Yes, uh, following the Genevan reformer and the prince of preachers, I think this psalm was offered as a prayer by David at the occasion of Solomon's coronation, his ascension to the Israelite throne. Uh, that's why we sang crown him with many crowns this morning. It's a, a coronation psalm. Thus, this is a prayer of David from the pen of Solomon. It would also become the prayer of Solomon, a prayer that Solomon offered when his son Rehoboam ascended to the throne of Israel. Verse 20, it also signifies to us that this was a prayer. It was a prayer that David offered at the end of his life. There's actually a, a good bit of verbal agreement between this psalm and David's final words in 2 Samuel chapter 23. The psalms, you'll remember, are, are not only chronologic, are not arranged chronologically, but thematically. And that's why uh, you'll find later in the psalms, uh, psalms of David re-emerging. What did David pray for his son Solomon and ultimately his greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we can summarize David's prayer under three headings. David prayed for endless righteousness, endless rule, and endless praise. These three headings, they're going to form the outline of the rest of our study of Psalm 72, the rest of this sermon. Let's begin with our first point. A prayer for endless righteousness. A prayer for endless righteousness. And as we do, uh, let me read Psalm 72, verses 1 to 7 now. Psalm 72, verses 1 to 7. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. In these verses... David gives, uh, David prays for God to give his son the right and the responsibility to rule in righteousness and the wisdom to judge in righteousness. He prays that his son would defend the needy in accordance with righteousness. And under his righteous rule, the righteous would flourish. This is a prayer for comprehensive righteousness, isn't it? This is a prayer for righteousness flowing from God to the king for the benefit and blessing of the land and of the people. This is a prayer made by David for Solomon, but it's certainly a prayer that the people of God should take up and offer themselves. This is a prayer that they should give their loud and hearty amen to. There's an important qualification there in verse 1. Did you, did you catch it? Did you see it there? The psalmist does not pray for God to give the king justice or righteousness. No, the psalmist prays, give the king your justice and your righteousness. Today, there are endless calls for justice, and that speaks to the reality. 
that our world suffers a great deal of injustice. Still, we must be clear about what justice we want and what justice we pray for. We pray for God's justice. We pray for God's righteousness. We pray for God's righteousness to be made known. We pray for the kind of justice and righteousness that's consistent with God's law. And if you want to know what God's justice and righteousness is like, then just go read the Ten Commandments. God's righteousness, God's justice is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. And the king was to execute God's justice and righteousness out of that framework and the other laws of God. The king of Israel was entrusted with the power to judge on God's behalf. To do so, God's law had to be written on his heart. Part of how that came to be, according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, was that the king, the king of Israel, he was, when he came to the throne, he was to write out his own copy of the law for himself. This prayer for God's king to judge in God's righteousness was an appropriate and important prayer. Solomon himself even made this request in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, when he prayed, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? That's what Solomon prayed. He prayed for God's wisdom, God's righteousness, God's justice. And having prayed for God's king to be given God's justice and righteousness, the psalmist, David, uh, takes the next important step in the, the chain of his petitions. Verse 2. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Do you, do you see the logical progression here? First, uh, pray for the king to possess, or better yet, be possessed by God's righteousness and justice. And second, pray then for the king to pursue God's justice and righteousness. It's, it's one thing to know God's law, isn't it? It's another thing to carry it out. It's one thing to possess the power to punish evil and reward the good. It's quite another to use that power and actually punish evil and reward the good. How many make promises that upon taking office they will do what is just and right, only to take the reins of power and do nothing. You may wonder... Why pray particularly for the king to defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy? Well, generally speaking, they are the most oppressed and most vulnerable to injustice. Injustice is normally perpetrated in the hands of the powerful. So when the king looks to, when he, he gives attention to the poor, the needy, and the children, those who cannot defend themselves and who cannot give him anything in return... Right? The, the poor and the needy and the children can't really give anything to the king. When he is careful, paying attention to their justice, and their need, and defending them, then in all likelihood, the king is ensuring that justice is being executed with integrity across every strata of his kingdom. Children, youth, young adults, how does this sound to you? What would it be like to live under the rule of a loving king that ends injustice? And defends the vulnerable. Do you ever wonder what life would be like without conflict or oppression? If there were truly a king who always did right and crushed oppressors, would you trust him with your loyalty and with your life? Young people, 
talk with your parents this afternoon about the king who is transforming the hearts of wicked people, calling them to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Ask your parents to pray with you about being such a person who's transformed by the king. The words that close verse 4 and crush the oppressor, you see them there? They also make plain that the king is to put down injustice forcefully, don't they? To deliver the afflicted from oppression requires that the oppressor be punished. How else would injustice be brought to an end if an oppressor is allowed to slink away and escape restitution and retribution? The king is not merely to know the right. He is to put the wrong right. It is through his righteous judgment that the kingdom comes to enjoy the blessings of righteousness. Verse 3, let the mountains bear prosperity, or literally shalom, that's the word there. Let let the mountains bear shalom for the people and the hills in righteousness. Verse 6, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. You see, the king's righteous rule will have a a healing, a a refreshing, a, a peaceful character to it. This is reminiscent of what we read in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 15. In the light of the king's face there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. That's the sense we get there in verse 7. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. When God's righteousness rules a king, and the king rules in God's righteousness, the righteous, the people of God, flourish. But notice that the images of verse 3 and verse 6 speak of the creation flourishing too. All of this should make us think of Jesus and the, the holistic nature of His redemptive work. In and through the righteousness of Jesus, a kind of cosmic reconciliation and restoration takes place. In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It's clear that God's righteousness was written on Jesus' heart. I mean, just think back to Jesus' famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember what that sermon was all about? It was all about the righteous character of God's kingdom. In many ways, it was an exposition of the heart of God's law. And what did Jesus bring to the poor and the needy in that sermon? What did Jesus bring to the poor and spirit? What did he bring to those who were spiritually bankrupt and oppressed by sin? He brought blessing. Listen to these words from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God has been revealed. And the endless blessing of Jesus' righteousness has been secured to all who believe in Him. Those who are righteous in Jesus and because of Him live by faith. And they live righteous lives by the grace of God. 
Take note of the last few words there, verse 7. Till the moon be no more. Now don't read that phrase in a kind of a a wooden, literal manner. We're reading a a poetic prayer here. The, The psalmist is praying that the righteousness of the king and his kingdom will have no end. The psalmist is praying for for endless righteousness. Here we clearly see that this prayer, once offered by David for Solomon, is looking beyond the immediate future. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David was told by God that one day he would have a descendant who would reign on his throne forever. David is praying. He is petitioning God for that day to come, for that king to come. He's praying That the one whom Isaiah was longing for would come. Here's Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, of shalom, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. She has David prayed for the present and for the future. So too we should pray for the present and the future. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you pray this kind of prayer for the rulers of our government and our society? You pray that, this kind of prayer for those who are involved with the the justice system. We we recognize that political rulers are not the Savior. Political rulers are not the Savior. They cannot bring the kingdom of God. Only the king can bring the kingdom of God. Political rulers are not the Savior. They are not to be worshipped. And yet, there is no doubt that our neighbors would know great blessing if our leaders ruled according to God's righteousness. If they judged based upon God's principles of justice, our neighbors would be blessed. So, so do you pray, Father, give our elected leaders and representatives, those engaged in the justice system, give them your justice and give them the strength and the willingness to execute your justice. Please pray that prayer. The people, the poor, the needy among us need God to answer that prayer. The children, the baby boys, and especially the baby girls inside of their mother's wombs who are vulnerable to oppression need God to answer your prayers. So you need to pray them. The powerful are bearing down upon them and they are so often defenseless. So Christian, defend them. Defend them with your prayer. And for those who have the responsibility to protect them, the weakest and most vulnerable in our society. Pray for them. And if you have been impacted by the the trauma of abortion, then please know that there is forgiveness, there is mercy and comfort and love in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So know that Jesus is ready and willing and eager desires of receiving you into his family full of love. Broadly speaking, we should pray that God's justice and God's righteousness would mark our society. Pray for our magistrates, pray for our judges, our governmental leaders and rulers. Laws based upon the principles of God's righteousness bring peace and prosperity to a nation. 
You should want that for your neighbor. Pray for the strength to honor and fear our representatives and rulers. That's one implication there of verse 5. The king was to be feared. He was to be honored, held in high regard. The call, this call and command was enjoined upon New Testament believers as well. This is striking when you consider that the Apostle Peter told early believers and followers of Jesus to honor the emperor. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Yes, they were even to honor that unrighteous ruler. They were to pray for him. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Pray. Pray for our representative rulers. And pray for those engaged in our justice system. We pray for justice in the present, but we also pray for justice in the future. Pray for the day when our righteous King, Jesus Christ, will right all wrongs. Pray for the Lord Jesus come to come and to put all wrong right. Until the return of Jesus, justice and righteousness is only partial. And therefore, we are not fully satisfied. So pray, come, Lord Jesus. Pray for his second coming. His second coming is the answer to our prayer for endless righteousness. Join us tonight as we think about his first coming. As we think about the coming of the righteous king in Luke chapter 1. His first coming ensures that he will come again. Well, having considered David's prayer for endless righteousness, let's turn now and consider our second point. A prayer for endless rule. Read Psalm 72, verses 8 to 14, and here we see David's prayer for endless rule. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastland render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, and all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls on the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. This prayer, this prayer for endless rule encompasses the whole earth and all of the peoples of the earth. You see there when we read in verse 8 the petition for the king to have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. We're reading a a poetic description of the whole known world at the time. This petition is a lot like what we find in Psalm 2.8 where God invites his king to make a request of him. So in Psalm 2.8 we read, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. David wants God's king to have dominion over the whole earth. The peoples of the earth come into view there, beginning there in verse 9. You'll notice that in this verse that everyone bows in submission before God's king. But there are different kinds of submission and bowing, aren't there? Some bow in delight, while some bow in defeat. That phrase, his enemies lick the dust, reminds us of an old, old story. One that stretches back to Genesis chapter 3. Remember just after the fall. 
God cursed the serpent, and he was told that he would crawl along the ground and eat dust, and one day be defeated by a son of man. Here, David is praying for God to bring about that victory. He is praying for the serpent and all who are in league with him to bow before the king in defeat and eat dust. We're moving from defeat in the end of verse 9. We move back into delight in verse 10. It's interesting that David brings up Tarshish in verse 10. We know Tarshish because of Jonah. Remember, he, he wanted to get away from God and God's assignment that he sought. So he sought to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish. It was the farthest known destination in the ancient world. So in verse 10, David is calling for the tribute, the honor, the worship of the king to come from the north and the south and the east and the west. In the near immediate future, the queen of Sheba did in fact come and honor Solomon. Uh, keeping one finger here, turn back toward Genesis in your Bibles, but turn, toward, uh, turn to 1 Kings chapter 10. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's on page, I believe it's on page 290. 290 of the Bibles provided. And as we begin to read uh, these verses, bear in mind David's earlier petition in this song that the king would be marked by righteousness and that his kingdom would be blessed because of it. Now, now take a look at verse 1 of chapter 10 of uh, the book of 1 Kings. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. He took her breath away. You like that? And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king. That you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of mulgut wood and precious stones. Well, turning back to Psalm 72, we can see that David's petition of verse 10 was answered in part during Solomon's lifetime. Uh, if you're looking for Psalm 72, that's on page 485, I believe, the Bible's provided. Once again, though we can have a kind of immediate fulfillment, a kind of answer to David's prayer in verse 10 during Solomon's life, we know that this psalm is anticipating a greater fulfillment. Verse 11 asks not just for some kings and nations to bow down before God's king, but all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. 
This ought to call to mind the submission that is coming to the Lord Jesus Christ as described in Philippians chapter 2. Remember, after His death on the cross and through His resurrection of the grave, Paul tells us that God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what is coming to Jesus. That day is coming. The day promised in verse 11 is coming. That day is coming because Jesus, because He fulfilled verses 12 to 14 of Psalm 72. As you, as you read through the psalm, at first these verses, they appear a little out of place. They appear out of place because suddenly we're kind of launched back into the concerns of the poor and the needy. They were mentioned in the first seven verses. Why are we going backward after going forward? The psalmist takes us backwards to show us the reason why we may go forward. Do you understand that? Why will people from every tongue and tribe and nation bow down in worship of God's King? Verse 11. Well, the answer is verses 12 to 14. People from every tongue and tribe and nation will bow down in the worship of God's King because He delivers, He saves, and He redeems the needy, the poor, and the weak. Jesus revealed that this is what He came to do. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21, we read this. And He, that's Jesus, Jesus came to Nazareth where He'd been brought up, and as, he, as was His custom, He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me. Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In his hometown synagogue, Jesus carefully selects his text. He selects a text which reveals who he is and what he has come to do. He selects Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3, which shares significant thematic overlap with Psalm 72. Both Isaiah 61 and Psalm 72 are concerned about the poor and the oppressed. Jesus' text was a prophetic prediction of the servant of the Lord, of God's true king. In Isaiah 61, that servant speaks. And he says that the Lord, that Yahweh, has anointed him for the purpose of bringing good news to... To who? To the poor. Not merely the physically poor, but the spiritually poor. He would come and bring the good news that he would redeem those who are in the impossible situation of being devoid of the riches of righteousness that God's law required. He would come to give them the riches of his righteousness. He would come to bring good news that would heal the hearts of those who have been broken by sin. He would come to proclaim that in Him, that through faith in Him, the Lord is no longer angry with His people. The servant, the king, says that He would set free those who have been held captive and oppressed as slaves to sin. The Lord, He pours out His favor upon them because of His servant. And after reading Psalm 61 which is a conceptual echo of Psalm 72, 
With respect to the servant king's care for the poor and needy, Jesus, he sits down in that authoritative position as he prepares to teach in the synagogue. And he simply says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he's effectively saying, look, I'm the one that Isaiah prophesied about. I'm that one. I'm that king of Psalm 72 who has come to bring God's righteousness to the poor and the needy. The blood of the people of God is still precious in his sight. Did you notice that wonderful and tender phrase there in verse 14? Precious is their blood in his sight. You wonder why we submit to the rule of this gracious king. We love him because he first loved us. He has pity on the weak and the needy. Verse 13. The the blood of God's people is precious in his sight. The blood of the people of God is still precious in his sight. Many of the people of God are still afflicted and suffering. You can read about God's continuing ongoing care and concern for the blood of his people in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Yes, we gladly, we gladly welcome the rule, the endless rule of our king because he delivers, he saves, and redeems us who are needy and poor and weak because of our sin. Our king has placed himself under the righteous judgment due to our sin. Jesus has suffered the righteous punishment due to our sin in his death on the cross. And he was raised from the grave so that we might be received into his kingdom as those who have been made righteous by him. We gladly and willingly give ourselves to his loving rule because we know that he loves us and loves to give us what is best through his rule. Friend, have you received Jesus Christ as your king? Do you know how to receive Jesus Christ as your king? You receive Jesus as your king by by turning from your sin and trusting that he suffered the righteous punishment that was due to your sin in his death on the cross. You receive Jesus as your king through believing that he was raised from the grave for the forgiveness of your sins so that you might be received into his kingdom. Believe and trust in him. Believe that though you were poor and needy and weak, he came to live and die and be raised from the grave for the forgiveness of your sins. Welcome his endless rule in your life today, for it is a rule of love. David prays for his son to possess endless righteousness and endless rule. Then, In verses 15 to 20, we meet David's next petition. In Psalm 72, verses 15 to 17, we hear a prayer for endless praise. This is our third and final point, a prayer for endless praise. Read Psalm 72, just verses 15 to 17 for right now. Long may he live. It's a long live the king kind of phrase, right? Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually. And blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. We'll pick up verses 18 and 19 in just, in just a moment. They serve kind of as something of a coda. On, on this petition for praise. But first, let's enjoy just the, the opening request there, verse 15. 
It's nothing less than that long live the king idea. David and Solomon, they, they ruled and reigned for actually a considerable length of time in their day. They, they both reigned for somewhere around 40 years. That's a long time. It's a, it's a remarkable feat in the ancient world. Even more remarkable is the fact that the Davidic dynasty, it lasted for well over 400 years. During that time, kingdoms rose and fell. But David's kingdom remained. Not without trouble, to be sure. But the Lord certainly blessed and answered this request from David. Verse 15 also returns to an earlier theme in the psalm. That the glad gifts of homage be brought to the king. Sheba, as you'll recall, was mentioned earlier in the psalm. That city itself, it was located on the southwestern part of the Arabian Peninsula. Do you have, uh, does that clue, that location of the city on the southwestern part of the Arabian Peninsula, does, does that clue give you, have you kind of thinking about a particular event in the New Testament? Many Christians have understood the wise men who brought gifts to the King of Kings, that they were from Arabia. Do you remember what one of those gifts was? It was gold, right? But, but don't miss the purpose of the gift of gold in this psalm and the gift of gold there at Jesus' feet in the early Gospels. It was to bring praise to the king. It was to bring worship to him. Verse 17 really escalates this call for praise, doesn't it? The name of this king is to endure forever. As long as his name endures, as long as he endures, he's worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise not just from some people, but from all peoples. The conclusion of verse 17, it's an echo of God's promises to Abraham in Genesis 12. Remember in Genesis 12, God told Abraham that through him all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. In Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is the, he's the promised offspring of Abraham in whom all the nations are blessed. You see, Psalm 72 has been and is being fulfilled in Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you recognize that we, we who are here this morning, who are bringing our worship to Jesus, we are part of God's answer to David's prayer? Did you know that? We're, we're part of God's answer to David's prayer. We are in many ways living Psalm 72 this morning. The nations spoken of in verse 15 are all of the nations of the earth. Most of us here this morning are not Jewish. Rather, we're Gentiles. We're from the nations. We, the nations of the earth, worship God's true and final King, Jesus Christ. We have gathered here this morning to serve Him. And we go out into the world to serve Jesus. People from many tribes and tongues and nations are worshiping and serving Jesus today. And there is coming a day when Psalm 72 will reach its full, its final, its climactic fulfillment. This is what we read in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 to 13. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and your blood, by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth 
and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him, to him, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We serve this king. We praise this king. People from the whole earth will give glad tribute to him. And the only way you will give endless praise to Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth is if you give praise to him on this earth. You see, as we read verses 18 and 19, in just a minute, ask yourself this question. Is this, is this my blessing? Is this your blessing? Ask yourself if you can give a loud and hearty amen to these words. Psalm 72, verses 18 and 19. Blessed be the Lord, literally, blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Is this your, your blessing? Is this your blessing? Do you praise God for the wondrous things he has done in creation? And most especially in Jesus. Is it your heart's desire to bless his glorious name forever and ever? Is it your heart's desire to see the whole earth filled with the glory of Jesus? As we conclude, let's, let's draw our minds again to the reasons that this psalm presents for us why God is worthy of our praise for his work in his son and our king. Jesus possesses God's righteousness. Verse 1. Indeed, heaven's perfect righteousness is revealed through him. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. One day Jesus will judge the world in righteousness. That's in verse 2 there. That's what we read. This is what we read in Acts chapter 17 verse 31 about Jesus. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By? By who? By a man he has appointed. And of this we, he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, when Jesus comes in judgment. Jesus will bring forth shalom, the prosperity of the earth, spoken of there, there in verses 3 and 16. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul tells us that when Jesus returns, he will make all things new, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When Jesus returns, our oppressors, sin and Satan, will be fully and finally crushed. And we, the poor, the weak and the needy, we will be fully and finally defended. Verses 4 and 12 through 14. This is our hope, that our King will make all wrongs right. Christian, make this psalm your prayer. Pray Psalm 72. Pray, Heavenly Father, finalize your righteous rule through your righteous Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray, but don't stop there. Also allow Psalm 72 to be your praise. Praise your king who is filled with endless righteousness and gives you his righteousness. Praise your king who has already begun his endless rule. And praise your king who has brought and is bringing you into his endless kingdom. Let's pray together.